Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. I've got the eye of the tiger. Welcome to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with the industry's biggest names. I'm your host, Alan Seals, and our guest is episode four of five of the Andrew Liet Broadway Takeover, with none other than Paolo Schott. He, uh, he, he plays Lance, the, the father, in Andrew Liet, and is just this incredible performer. He has this amazing opera background and has brought it to a show with nothing but pop music so he he is unique in the show in such an amazing and colorful way that if you haven't seen it you got to see it uh, <laughs> he originally had a very sporty background when he was a kid and as he says soccer didn't love him as much as he loves soccer <laughs> and uh his amazing parents and he tells the story of his parents his amazing parents helped him find find something new this new love for for performing and he just ran with it and is where he is now and has this amazing singing career and especially for someone who was told his voice was best for opera i think it's so cool how he now finds a wonderful home in in this show with nothing but pop songs like i said just phenomenal so instagram tiktok facebook twitter all the places that i am connect with me on there let me know you're listening leave a rating leave a review and everybody go see Anne juliet and enjoy this episode with paolo shot when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today's guest won the Tony Drama Desk, Outer Critics Circle, and Theater World Award for his Broadway debut as Emile de Bach in LCT's production of South Pacific, and was nominated for the Laurence Olivier Award for the same role in his West End debut, also a seasoned opera star. He's performed all over the world and here in the U.S. with the Met Opera, the New York Philharmonic, the Chicago Philharmonic, the New York Pops, and gosh, countless others, in addition to the Broadway credit of South Pacific. He has also appeared in the Broadway production of 
Chicago, and can now be seen on stage again as Lance Dubois in Anne Juliet. Paolo Schott, welcome to the Theater Podcast. It's a great pleasure to be here, and I really love your pronunciation of my French character, Lance Dubois. I really loved it. Thank you. <laughs> well, I, I love, I I love that the joke of the last name, and I kick myself. I am still kicking myself. I did not see that incredibly obvious dad joke coming miles away when uh, when Juliet started mispronouncing. Dubois as the boy, right? And then yeah, you were talking right. about the band you have. And then all of a sudden you start up your boy band again. I was like, oh, <sighs> yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it. How did I not see that coming? <laughs> it was that one. It's one of those, one of those things in this incredibly smart and um, bright script, you know, that uh, all these beautiful surprises that hit us at certain points and you're like oh that's why and it's very shakespearean too in a way well that's that's what i love about it and we're definitely going to get it going to get into the the production of Anne juliet and your your involvement with it but i, I want i want to back up because i think you have you have such a unique experience and a unique journey that brought you to this pop show it's a pop music show which is what you are, your career is not pop music as far as I know, right? So right. Yeah. Back, backing up, are you, you're Brazilian, right? I was born in, in Sao Paulo, yes, in Brazil, from uh, Polish parents that have immigrated to Brazil after the Second World War. And, um, and yeah, but I was, I'm Brazilian, yes. That is so cool. And and I didn't know until the last couple of years, but Broadway is huge down in Brazil. Like Brazilians it's, love uh, it's Broadway. It's very big. Absolutely. I, we always had a tradition of Brazilian musicals in Brazil. Very good musicals and very um, musicals that would, would tell the story of Brazilian music. But uh, I think in the last 20 years, I think the, the biggest... Uh, uh, thing that happened that changed and that started to bring new audiences to the theater was uh, the production of the international production of the Phantom of the Opera when it came to Brazil. Uh, I think it was 2001. Since then, people fell in love with the, the, uh, the international tradition of musicals and it's, it's really, really a big thing. I think right now, uh, in the main cities of Brazil, like Sao Paulo and Rio, there are always five or six titles going at the same time and uh i was just there last year doing doing a production of uh, of chicago so um and the audience loves it so it's 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 great then when you were a kid it, growing up wh where did you start getting into the performance aspect were you always sort of attracted to performing or was it specifically singing or dancing or at what point you know did you sort of find yourself attracted to this world it's it's because of my parents, really. As I said, they were immigrants and uh, that just arrived to Brazil very young. And the the place that they met was actually the Polish church in São Paulo. So they they cultivated their their music, you know, Polish music in Brazil in São Paulo at their church. And I was in seared. I don't I don't really remember when was the first time that I was on stage because they always had performances of Polish music and Polish dances. And uh, I am the fifth of uh, 
of a family of my, I have five, uh, four more siblings. So I'm the youngest. So it was a tradition in my family to always perform during the weekends, you know, during the church time. And uh, that was very natural for me. And, uh, and I was growing up in this environment, you know, I, I, of course, as a Brazilian, I always wanted to play, uh, soccer. I wanted to play ball. And, uh, and I remember, I really loved it, you know, in school. And uh, but I was always the the last kid of the batch, so um, <laughs> the last one picked. <laughs> I remember, yeah. So I remember one time my mom went to see the game in school, and uh, and uh, fortunately, the coach said to me, "Paulo, you're going in because we are out of other players, but uh, you don't touch the ball." And uh, and I, <laughs> you know. I, <laughs> And of course, I didn't listen to him, and I did touch the ball. And in my head, I, I made the beautiful, the, the most beautiful goal of all, but it, it wasn't. So after the game, he came to my mom and said, "You know, Mrs. Shot, Paulo loves football. That because that's how we call it, football. But football does not love Paulo back." So my mom, you know, realizing I believe at this time that I would never have a career as a as a sportsman, he signed. She signed me up to to our little art school to to learn music and to to learn dance and uh, and I was I remember being really mad because I loved football. But you know, after a few weeks, I I realized that I also loved music, and uh, in some way, lo music loved me back. So um, I stick to it. <laughs> I love that. Paulo loves football. Football does not love Paulo back. No. <laughs> it was, it, you know, it's one of the things that only was possible back in the day because um, nowadays I don't see how people would be using that kind of honesty. And it was, it, it was cruel in a certain way. But in my case, it was a way of trying something else and uh, something else that I could be good at, you know, and uh, I think that's what parents want for their children, for them to be good at something and to find themselves doing something good. So although it was cruel at that time, uh, because it was one of my passions to play ball, but uh, I, I think it was it was very good for me at the end. That's so cool. And I, I actually appreciate, too, that I thought the way that you originally described your parents, I thought that they met and then immigrated together. But it's, it sounds like after the war, they immigrated separately and then met at the church in Brazil. So they no, both found no, they found each they other have, in in Brazil. Right. It's a very similar story because they were both children during the Second World War. And my dad and my mom lived very close to, to each other, but they didn't know. Uh, it was a region where now is Ukraine. Uh, uh, the city it was called in, in Polish Lviv, and uh, now it's Lviv. We all are getting very familiar with with all these cities, unfortunately, because of the war that's going on right now. But uh, in their times, um, they were Polish, and uh, when the the Nazi invaded Poland, they took a lot of family Polish families to work to uh, to a force labor camps mm -hmm. in, in Germany and uh, both families of my mom and my dad, they had the same path. They were taken from their homes immediately and uh, to to a train and then had to work throughout the, the whole war in a uh, German uh, labor camp. So after the war finished, their parents, my grandparents, they didn't want to go back to their 
to their city uh, or anything like that because uh, it wasn't Poland anymore. That territory became Ukraine. So uh, they had opportunities to immigrate to Argentina, to America, of course, to Brazil, and um, and they chose Brazil. And that's where they met, you know, they didn't know each other before. They met in the, the Polish church in Sao Paulo. So uh, it's a very, you know, the story of the world, very sad. It's, it, of course, I grew up knowing the tragic stories of of my 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 family's both from my mom's side and my dad's side, but in never you know that's very amazing because that's why i admire I admire my parents so much. They never put that kind of suffering or or any kind of hate into us hmm. because of what happened to them. you know it was very um dignifying I, I believe you know from from people that suffered so much. And then they have kids, and they don't, don't, don't. They know that violence is something that you don't, you, you cannot uh, bring into your children. And I believe they had, they had the reasons for that. And I, I believe they are right. You know, of course, you learn history; you have to learn the facts. But uh, uh, it's a difference when you, when you want to keep into that, um, that uh, frustration of your life into, into your family going on. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you have to, you, it's a conscious decision as a parent. Yeah. You, you, there's a lot of things that you don't realize you're teaching and you're, you're teaching, you can teach a form, you know, there's some of it's inherited and, and just who you are genetically. But like, I think you can teach a form of confidence or teach a form of fear or embarrassment or being proud or whatever the case is. Right. So, you know, you can, you can start to give your kids the fuel and then they run with it, but the, the fuel you feed right. them is very important. So I agree with that. But um, at, at some point, somebody said, well, performing and singing loves Paolo back. So <laughs> where, where was the, do you remember the moment when, when you or your parents or somebody was like, you know what, he's actually really good at this, like really push him to do this, send him to school, let him go this way. I think they're, they realized I don't think they realized that I was good at it. They realized that I liked it. And I, they realized that I was happy and I could do certain things, you know, and I was happy doing that. But I remember that I really felt, because I grew up in a very small city in uh, close to Sao Paulo, but it wasn't a big city. And uh, rarely we went to, to see professional theater uh, shows and everything. We went, but not, it wasn't common thing it wasn't a tradition it would my family was really focused in the polish folklore and polish traditions which were beautiful but i think the first time that i watched a chorus line that came into vhs tapes at that time <laughs> i absolutely fell in love and that bug really you know uh, it was like why not I said i can do that i can do that and that's that stayed in the back of my head for so many years, you know, and, and, and then at some point I didn't know what to do after I finished high school. So, uh, uh, the consulate, the Polish consulate in Sao Paulo were offering scholarships for, for Polish children of immigrants to, to go to Poland and to study the language and to get into a university. And, uh, and I applied and I got accepted. So, um, so when I turned uh, 18, I, I, I took a cargo ship because I didn't have money to, to fly on a 
airplane. So it took me 23 days to get there from wow. Brazil to to go through the whole Atlantic and the Baltic Sea and and arrive oh in the north gosh. of Poland and then take a train to Krakow, which was where the university was. But you know, when you're 18 cargo ship you're like yeah hey and it was actually it was beautiful you know it was the first time that i that i went into an ocean and i and i got to see all these beautiful fishes and, and dolphins and uh everything so uh, i was fascinated i was absolutely fascinated to to go back to the country of my parents you know and that really was something of my interest at that time and uh when i arrived there uh the reality was of the people because they were still living in the communist reg regime. So it was very difficult, you know, because they didn't have uh, certain basic things that we, uh, we are, we're used to, you know, like, like silly things like chocolate, like meat, like toilet paper, like deodorant, like toothpaste, you know, basic things they had to ration. They have to, to really count how they use all of these things. And I I was just shocked at the beginning. Like It took me like two or three weeks to get used to that. But culturally, it was a paradise. You know, it was the place that I, that I found uh, other young people like me at the time that were in love with music and in dance. So uh, I kind of, all these difficulties were not important anymore to me at the time. So I found my gang. I found the people that loved what I loved, and I studied uh, in Poland for several years. And then I got into my first professional job while studying in Poland to, to a professional uh, song and dance company there. That was my first job when I was uh, 21. So, um, and from that moment on, I never stopped singing. You know, I got sing singing uh, teachers and people who were always guiding me and most of them started to guide me uh, towards opera they said you had a good voice material you should start singing opera and i said i'll take it and that's i think how it started yeah how it started after these messages we'll be right back <whistles> all right welcome back wow that you you say it like oh that's how it started but dude that's an incredible journey, literally a journey across the cargo <laughs> ship, you know, and to, to the other side of the world to connect to your roots where your parents were forced out during a war. I mean, good God, like, can, do you look back now and you're on, you're, you're on Broadway. So you're, I, I've said this a bajillion times on this podcast, Broadway is the Olympics of theater. It's the best of the best in the theater world. So you're you're an Olympian in arguably the best city on earth with some of the best, most talented people with you eight times a week on stage. And I mean, do you do you ever like have one of these moments of like, holy cow, man, you know, I, I owe it all to my parents i owe i owe everything to the love and the choices that they gave me the freedom they pushed me towards and because you've got such a wonderful perspective on what some people have and what some people do not have i yeah I, absolutely and i and i and i think that of course uh, most of that it's because i had a very supportive family that loved arts 
that never thought that singing and dancing were something less important than being a doctor or being an engineer. So they really supported me and they really wanted to be for me to be happy. And uh, and I and I thank them every day, you know, because I I think that's really something that was built when I was a child. And um, yeah, so they were a big, big part. Of course, that that soccer teacher too. But uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> right. you know, it's insane when you when you see you know, especially for me that uh, I have crossed. Uh, my fifties, so um, it's it's really interesting to see how much you go through your life and uh, how important every second is, and uh, and um, and I think it's something personal too. I think because I really love what I do, I honor what I do. I honor every opportunity. I honor. You said about Broadway, and it's absolutely right. Uh, it's a dream to be here. It's a dream to be at the Metropolitan Opera, but not because other theaters are not Broadway or the Metropolitan. It's 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 something that I would give a less important performance. I don't know. I don't know if you understand what I mean. Every stage and every audience mm-hmm. for me is important because from the moment that you step on that stage, you don't you don't know where you are anymore, and it's this magical. Thing that happens to a performer and uh, you really forget about about everything around you it's just there in this empty space with this huge house in the dark that you don't really see the faces of people that are there but you feel their energy back so it doesn't really matter once you are on that stage you know it's undeniable that is a dream and once you you got to leave that dream. It's something that you have to pinch yourself every day. You know, I still do. And uh, I try to honor my job by, you know, being respectful to everyone that's around me and to learn with my co-stars and to learn with everyone on stage every day. I think that's something that I, I, an actor has to have. You know, you there's never a point where you reach... Uh, I hate this word, but people say perfection because it doesn't mean anything to me. Mm-hmm. I think perfection is a very wrong way of thinking in arts. And because you, you, you just are like a human being, you have to leave space for the unexpected. You have to leave the space for what's coming next. You never reach something and that's, and then you die. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, uh, so perfection for me on stage is something that. I never try to reach, but uh, I try to be truthful and uh, and to do the best I can every time I'm on stage. I know it's hard. Eight shows a week is really, really hard and uh, sometimes really tired, but uh, if you love it, you know, there's a, it's a great, it, it's not my saying, you know, but it, there's a great uh, actress in, in Brazil. A, a veteran, uh, a goddess, and uh, Fernanda Montenegro is her name. And she always said to young students that come to her for master classes or to when she teaches, and she said, you want to do theater? Don't. Go and do something else. If you cannot live without theater, then come back. Mm. Because it's a life of sacrifices. You know, it's a life that, uh, if you really want to do it, you know, because it's a work that never ends 
I and you're traveling. there's so many times that I that I come home and like, oh my god, I just want to forget about that scene. I just want to forget, but it can't. You know, it's it's. I know actors have different ways of of building their characters and different ways of approaching their profession. But for me, it's part of my life, a part of who I am. So when I come home, I'm still that person that loves the theater and loves to think about every niche scene that can improve. Can can I can try new things, and that's what makes interesting for me. Because you know, if you in my perception, if you don't do that, how are you going to do eight shows a week? Yeah, I agree. It becomes a job if you don't like it. And I mean, everything is a job to an extent, literally, when you're getting paid for it. But yeah, if you cannot let it roll off your back or take it for what it's worth, then yeah, you're, you're going you're gonna to get burnt out real fast. And I guess taking it now to, to Anne Juliet, like, this is a show I don't think you could ever get tired of. It seems like one of the most fun experiences, A, to watch, but gosh, to be part of the energy and part of this magic that that is the show. You know, it, it knows what it is, It's which is just a party. It's a pop concert. And and I was talking with, um, with Luke and Jen the other day, the director and the choreographer, about like the journey of bringing it to the stage. And it was interesting because they were, they were like, you know, first we start with with some singing and then we layer in some dancing and then we turn it into a party. The whole thing is just this giant pop concert at the end of the day with a really an, an amazing book, uh, a comedic book and and a love story. It's still Romeo and Juliet on the inside, which is a classic Shakespearean tale. And I guess so what is it now as we are recording it's 2023. The show opened a few months ago and when did you first like, when did you first hear about this? And were you like, what the hell is, is going on? Or did you just jump all in? You're like, all right, a pop show about about uh, Shakespeare? Cool, let's do this. No, I had no idea about about uh, about the songs. First of all, when they, they approached me and they sent me the script, I only read the script. And, uh, and I found it brilliant. I found that the story that they wanted to tell was so important. You know, and it was so uh, wise to to bring something that everybody knew, like Romeo and Juliet, and to question, you know, what if she didn't kill herself because uh, Romeo was dead? What what if she decides to to live and to find out who she is? And that alone, the argument was so powerful in my head, and I thought that there are so many young people that that need. To listen to that statement, you know, especially these days. And um, it was very brave. So I started to read the script and I started to laugh. I started to cry. I started to fall in love with the characters. And um, and then I, 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 I saw the character that they want, wanted me to play, which is Lance Dubois, as you said so beautifully. This is the part And his relationship with his son and his relationship with an old love of his. So, uh, first of all, the relationship with the son is, is, is I was it's going beautiful. through something very personal at that time in my, my very close circle of friends where, where, uh, a boy like, like, like uh, Francois was struggling with the same issues 
that he has in the play. And I thought, if we are in, in 2021 at the time, if we still have to tell the story of young people that need to be understood, I want to be that one person that will help to tell that story and that will contribute for sure for, for, for hundreds of people that will come to see the show with this pop approach, with this, of course, the fun. But I, I really wanted to reach out for, for the perception uh, of how important it is to talk about this, these things and um, things that I, I don't think there will, will ever be fully resolved, depending on, again, from where you're born and, and the family that you have. But in, in a way, that was, that was what uh, really touched me, you know. Uh, it wasn't the first um, moment to, to just to have the fun that the show obviously is. But uh, it was to tell that story. Bum, 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 commercial break. And now we're back. When I read the script for the second time, I added the soundtrack of Max Martin. And I, and I was like, oh my God, this is that song. This is that song. And I know this one. And I know this one. I didn't know a bunch of other songs, but I knew a few of them. And I had no idea that uh, one brilliant man wrote all of them for this wonderful pop opera artist. So um, that added, you know, to the brilliant script in a way that it was just, brilliant to imagine that these songs existed already and david west reed was able to to collect them and select them and to write a story around them for them to be telling a story too not just to be musical numbers yeah there is no song in the show that doesn't tell the story doesn't continue the plot so it's one of the brilliant things that uh happens when you have a wonderful writer in a, in a musical. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. That was one of the things I, I'm so impressed with with the show is that you have all these seemingly on paper disjointed, unrelated pop songs that underlying all of it are connected by Max Martin, who wrote, you know, uh, the, the greatest number of number one hits ever second, I believe, only to Paul McCartney. So, I mean, come on, this, this guy has written so many hits that everybody knows and don't know that they know that he wrote and string them all together with a show or a storyline the, the Romeo and Juliet storyline but retold in a way now again it's the what if and it's the representation that we just we didn't get to see in Shakespearean times because because of some of the things that actually are hinted at in the show right that like that Will Shakespeare himself may have been gay and and you know, etc. Like there are all these little things that are kind of sprinkled in and it's such a beautiful, beautiful thing put together, man. Okay. So you say, yes, you're like, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to help be create this character and be part of this show. At what point that was 2021, you said you're reading the script. So I said, we're coming out of 2020, the pandemic. So 2021 Broadway's still sort of on the fringe of maybe coming back or hasn't come back yet, depending on what time of the year. And were so you were part of the uh, or the West End production then of Anne Juliet? Were you out there or did you come here uh, for Broadway? No, I just came from for for the Broadway production, and we did the, the 
the Toronto run, right, before it. But uh, I wasn't part of the West End, no. Right. So did you did you know, I guess, you said you read the script, added the music, but then, like, at what point did the magic really start to click? Because I feel like, you know, there's always that, that one rehearsal, that one run through or time you run a scene where you're like, oh, now, now it's starting to gel. It's really starting to go there. And I feel like there's that moment. And there's also, also the first time with the, uh, with the orchestra, the Zitz probe, right? Where you're all of a sudden you're in the house and you're hearing it all for the first time. And that's when like the emotions really start coming out. Right. So do you remember that time when you, in your production, when you just sat down, you're like, Oh my God, here we go. The train's about to leave the station. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And um, a very funny thing happened to me because I was doing Chicago and Brazil, as I mentioned before, and uh, the company was already rehearsing in New York without me. So uh, I had to to learn my scenes and they they were supposed to to fly me to New York for a weekend. So I (laughs) I could meet the company for two days, three days, and uh, and rehearse all my scenes and go back to my commitment in Chicago. So uh, they flew me here. I arrived in the morning, went to the room, I met everyone, and I, we started to work on the scenes. And I met my co-star, Mel Barry. And uh, She's we so started amazing. to do amazing, amazing. And so amazing. Uh, we started to work together in Teenage Dream and then uh, in the scenes with Francois. But everything was like in a in a very super express written because I only had three days. It was so impressively concentrated and so good to have that amount of time because everyone was so focused. Everyone was so, you know, intense. And uh, and we, we were able to do all my scenes and all my dialogues and everything in three days. And then I went back to Chicago and I only joined the company ready uh, three or four days because before we we flew to toronto for the whole run wow and uh so i didn't really have a rehearsal process i only got to to have a stage uh process with with the actors with costumes with the music and everything else but of course when you mentioned the zitz probe with the with the band with the orchestra it was the moment that I realized, oh, my God, I am inside a pop concert. And that is fantastic. <laughs> you know, I always love challenges and I always love doing something um, new to my career. You know, as I said, I started as an opera and then the South Pacific came into my life. And uh, and then after that, I started to do cabaret shows. I, I was very uh, already very happy to to be able to break those little boxes that people love to put you in. And uh, you are only allowed to do this kind of roles and you're only allowed to sing this kind of music. And I, all, I, I, I always question why I'm an artist and I want to sing what I like. I don't want to sing what you determine for me to, to be good for me. And, uh, and actually, only after South Pacific, you know, that experience that was uh, the one that gave me the possibilities of exploring all the kinds of music that I wanted to sing and um, and to throw myself into new things. So, close to my heart, she came to fly away. Only 
only to fly as day flies from This, what happened with Angel, it was, was uh, one of those um, experiences where I said, I have no idea what, how to sing these songs. I have no idea what's going to happen, but I like it. So, um, and of course, nobody is, achieves anything alone. So I had a lot of help from, from, from everyone, from the director, from the music director, and from my colleagues to find the right amount of um, the sonority of my voice, how I would go for things, how dramatic and uh, how funny. So um, I think it was a, a recipe that we had to, to find out how to bake together, uh, adding a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And uh, we finally got into a formula that, that it was, it works. You know, for me, it works. And so I think the magic missing ingredient, if I had to guess, was the cod piece. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, <laughs> you the put- cod piece. I arrive on stage after the cod piece arrives. So uh, the cod piece <laughs> arrives on stage first, and then comes Lance. So it's a very important thing. And the, the reaction is every night, it's, 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 it's amazing. And um, I think it's a very part of who he is, who Lance is, you know? And uh, it's undeniable to think that Lance uh, is a passionate man, but we see him in the first first time as a very angry man too with his son, not understanding what's going on. And uh, he only starts his first change in this whole arc of his uh, when when he he meets again uh, Angelique, he remembers what feels like to have love again in his life. So he starts to change, and, and he starts to want. He, he wants to become a better man because of love and because Angelique, and he wants to become a, a better father only because of that change. Meaning that love is everything. Well, much like the cod piece, it's rough exterior, soft on the inside. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and <Wow>. yeah. <laughs> You're saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, gosh, the relationship uh, with Angelique and, you know, played by Mel Berry, uh, God, the, the two of you together are so hilarious. So, like, the, the comic timing you have, knowing, uh, I think... Well, you had the Toronto out of town run, but I guess knowing how little time you had together with the actual development process and the rehearsal process, it just speaks to how talented you both are because it, it, it's so. But listen, so I was so lucky to have someone like Mel who, who really knew the nurse, who, who did it, uh, the West End. And he was, and she was not only doing the play, she was uh, familiar with the, the whole process of the readings, of the writing. She was there from the beginning. Yeah. So it was for me, it was a blessing to have someone like Mel to, to be there and to guide me because, you know, she's such um, a wonderful actress, a very open and a very um, generous person on stage and off stage. So um, it was really a blessing. I was, 
I am very lucky to to be with her and to and try to fit into her story because you know Angelique is someone that uh, everybody falls in love with and um, and uh, as I said it's just a blessing to to it was a blessing during the the whole period of rehearsals at the same time she was so great because only the great ones do that you know the great actors they don't impose for you to do things that they are used to they give you the liberty mm-hmm. of of developing and uh, she's totally open to finding new things because there's a new actor so it's it's very obvious that a new actor will bring new new things and um, and she was so open and she was so brilliant in all the, that process and we still work on it you know we still work on these scenes and uh, it's alive and the fun that you mentioned is real we love to do that that those scenes together we love <laughs> to have fun together and we love to dance together and we love to be silly together so it's something that you wake up in the morning you know and like I want to do that scene again, you know, and um, it motivates you to to go to work. Absolutely, yes. That's beautiful. All right. So there are three questions that I ask everyone to wrap up every episode. And I'll start with the first one for you, which is just very simply, what motivates you? Love. Love to what I do. What advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now, starting out down a similar path? Um. Don't be afraid of certain things. Don't be afraid of taking chances and always work hard and hard and hard and hard. And harder. Yes. All right. This is the hardest question then. If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? And Juliet. (laughs) (laughs) Have you been able to to like swing out and watch it yet? Have you watched any production of it? Yes, you know, uh, during our little break from Toronto to Broadway, I was on a trip to Paris, and I was on a business trip to Paris to the Paris Opera. One day, they they canceled the meeting there, and I said, "I'm going to take a flight. I'm going to see the production at the West End." And it was the best thing I did because it was a Saturday. I could see two shows, and I could, uh, you know, see from from the outside how brilliant this show is, which gave me so much more excitement if that's possible about going going to Broadway and doing this for the whole year. Is it, that's, that's really cool because I was going to say, is it different? Was it different? Because of course it's different being on stage and being in the audience, but knowing that you were going to get to bring that and be part of the stage, uh, the, the creation of the stage production uh, here on Broadway, being able to sit in the audience and feel the energy, feel and listen to the laughter, literally of the people are all around you laughing and being into it and crying. And I, what was that experience for you like sitting in the middle of the people that you were about to to perform to? It was very comforting, you know, because uh, I know people there are like me. You know, we are we are on stage sometimes, and um, and we we like to sabotage ourselves sometimes, you know. And, think oh my god they hate me oh my god they are not having fun and that experience watching the show from the other side from the audience side gave me you know the the assurance that i was totally wrong you know because people enjoy every minute of it you know because the show is really good no matter what you you you, you your interpretation no matter how 
brilliant you think you have to be on stage, it'll work because the script is fantastic and the whole concept, it's very intelligent. So, uh, and most of people that are seeing that is, are seeing it for the first time. So, uh, but it gave me to the, the, the importance to remember that uh, not to assume that people not because you've done it a million times on stage, the people is going to know. So are going to know. You have to be very clear about everything. So um, it was it was incredible. I, I felt so lucky to be able to see the show, you know, and uh, and to and it, as you said. But at the same time, as I knew I was doing that show, and I knew the show. The moment that you see it in the audience, you kind of forget that you were on that stage doing those roles. You. you, you, you you don't even remember the lines that your that actor that is doing your part is saying. At least I am like that, you know. I kind of try to 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 really enjoy every second of of what I'm seeing as it was the first time. You know, I, I don't try to to think, oh my god, I know what's coming at. No, I want to be surprised. And I think once you set your brain to to be surprised, you are. And um, yeah. It was great. It was great to see the show. That's amazing. Yeah, very few people get that opportunity. I'm so happy for you that, that you got to experience that because it probably shaped a lot of what you're bringing to stage now. So where can we right. find you uh, online on social media? Well, I'm on, on Facebook and Instagram and uh, on my website. I'm not, I'm not a generation of the social media, but I had to adapt so uh, people could uh, find about my jobs and uh, my my schedules. So, um, but I'm I'm there. I'm out there. Just click my name and you find it. Yeah. All right. You can get uh, get me. We're similar age, uh, similar generation. But I'm still on the web at thetheaterpodcast.com, at TikTok, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, and Instagram, of course, leave a rating, leave a review wherever you're listening now. And Paolo, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I mean, gosh, you guys are gearing up for award season as we're recording this. And and you got eight shows a week in this incredibly high energy show that, I mean, taking the time out to talk with us. Just thank you. It's been so much fun. Thank you. It was a pleasure talking to you. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E 
www.ministrymarkwhitehouse.org because only together we rise.